Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Future Tech Podcast. It's me, Charlie Sell, the Group MD of Arrows Group, where I get a chance to meet, interview, just have open discussions with thought leaders, people directors, heads of tech, um, asking them a bit about their story, topics that are really relevant to them that appeal to our many, many listeners, and that all-important career advice at the end. So, I'm really pleased to have uh, Felicity Winkley with me today. Felicity is the People Director at uh, Papier, and Papier is a global e-commerce uh, stationary retailer. Uh, many of you would have probably seen their growth or know of them, um, as they're pretty prevalent in the market today. And they're seven years old and going through quite a growth journey, which I'm sure Felicity will um, tell us a little bit about. Um, so without further ado, Felicity, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Charlie. So let's jump straight in and just tell us a bit about your story. How did you get into tech? I know it's a bit of a nice sort of a, a different avenue, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. It's a bit of a roundabout story. I, I started off, I suppose, after school, I went into an archaeology degree and got very into museum archaeology and heritage. I was always a big museums nerd. Uh, my mum works in contemporary applied arts, so I spent a lot of time as an only child in museums. And so, um, yeah, kind of after my degree, I did a little bit of, of working in museums and was kind of it came up with the idea for my PhD and was slightly encouraged to do a PhD, which I started in 2010. And because of the subject being quite niche that I was into, specifically metal detectorists um, and how they kind of relate to the ancient landscape, uh, I didn't secure funding, which meant that I had to work part time. So between kind of 2010, 2016, I did a, a number of different roles and I ended up landing into uh, Totally Money in 2016, which is a, a fintech, uh, well, startup scale up at that point had been around in the market for quite a few years. And that would have been towards the end of my PhD. So I was just kind of submitting, trying to do loads of publishing. Uh, I think I started there on something like 18 hours a week and they were only about 42 heads. So that kind of suited them. But then over the next kind of 12 months, I really, uh, you know, I really got a really good affinity for the business. I was reporting directly into the CEO. We were really passionate about what we were trying to do in terms of people and culture. And there was a point essentially after about a year or so where the business wanted me to go full time. And I thought that I should kind of follow my nose uh, and that it was too good of an opportunity to miss really. And so, and our, and our CEO basically persuaded me to kind of quit the band in his in his terms, um, having had a similar experience uh, a couple of years before, where he'd had to kind of turn his back on like an electro music career. So um, uh, yeah, so that would have been kind of 2011, something like that, and that's when we were doing a huge amount of growth and getting ready to build our first um, mobile native app, which was really exciting. And so, yeah, I just really, really got a kind of flavor for it. I was fantastically lucky that the business then supported me in doing a formal HR qualification to give me some, some additional kind of credibility to what I had kind of picked up just from being in the right place at the right time. So I did my CIPD qualification while I was with Totally Money. And yeah, they were just incredibly supportive. And I think I, I just managed to get there at the right kind of point of the wave. And I think with those kind of cultures as they scale, it's so, you know, some of those questions 
actually don't require a lot of kind of academic training or necessarily kind of experience. It's more about authenticity and making sure that you're kind of hanging on to those, I guess, real kind of pillars of your culture as you're recruiting new people into the business and as you're having to like formalize your comms and some of those things that you're doing. So yeah, I had a I had a really good kind of five plus years with Totally Money and then left them early kind of 2021 I joined Papier uh April 21 so yeah about 18 months ago or something like that and they they were at a stage where slightly similar to Token Money a bit bigger I joined them when they were about 62 folks we're now just over 120 but they'd been looking to make kind of senior people hire to help with that kind of acceleration so that's kind of where I came in. Fantastic and I mean we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, especially Papier, like going through the different series fundings and and the, the, the yeah the, the growth, sixty people to one hundred and twenty. What do you think have been the most rewarding, but probably also some of the most challenging parts of being part of a business that's growing that quickly? Yeah, I think I think it is really difficult um, for a number of reasons. I think one of the things that you have to do is be really mindful about your communications and how you're making sure that people in the business are staying informed. Obviously, when you're when you're much smaller, it, it's really easy to kind of waterfall information and to make sure that the right people find out at the right time. But as you get bigger, that needs more and more of a kind of concerted effort to make sure that your that any kind of comms plan is rolled out and the right people find out in the right order because nothing's worse than kind of feeling like you're hearing something and you're the last person in the organization to hear it or actually you're somebody who's affected by it and you weren't told first and I think obviously it goes without saying that kind of COVID and hybrid working has added another level of complexity to that um so so that's that's kind of interesting I think the other thing that we always kind of talk about and that is a challenge that nobody's quite worked out yet is the kind of org design and org structure question. And obviously in an ideal world, you'd be able to really carefully plan what that org structure looks like before you go out to market and hire it um, and have a really clear plan about, you know, if, if I'm 120 people, what does that team look like? What do the kind of management structures look like? But in reality, you can't do that because one, you don't know what necessarily you're gonna find in the market and what those candidates are gonna to bring to the table. Two, as we all know, with kind of startups, you quite often have people who've been doing slightly kind of weird hybrid roles who ring up responsibility from all over the place. And so as you grow, you then have to get a bit more mindful about which channels people are owning or, or where those kind of boundaries between responsibilities are. And so you might end up with somebody who's been in the business for quite a long time, who's a bit of a jack of all trades, but now, unfortunately, what you actually need is a real subject matter expert in a particular area. So those things are always a little bit more kind of complicated to work out than you might anticipate. And then I think there's just some certain things about actually at pace, it's very hard to kind of look beyond the next kind of six to 12 months. So for all the best laid plans, it's probably not necessarily the best use of your time to spend hours trying to work out kind of org structures for like the next you know year one year two when actually in reality your kind of I guess commercial priorities might have changed business goals might have changed you just don't know really so you almost have to kind of hope put your kind of finger in the air and kind of hope for the best and see what happens in the market and then I guess react accordingly. Yeah and I couldn't agree with you more on that you know witnessing and working with a number of 
scale-ups and, and, and businesses like yourselves are that in such a good way are going through so much growth but but you can't see you know you know it's, it's unrealistic to say beyond 12 months other than bigger goals but the actual operational size and how the team structures fit and I guess that sort of leads quite nicely when thinking about culture and many of our listeners are young people who are who are looking to you know what type of business should they join and, and where would yeah. they succeed and I guess there's there's definite differences isn't there from joining a a large enterprise business a multinational plc which which could offer great training and stability and structure but but also very maybe quite a lot slower or or not as dynamic versus the scale up type businesses like like yourselves which what, yes. what would you say thinking around the culture and the the attributes of people that would thrive within your environment what are the type yeah. of what's the characteristics people need to have it's a really good question because I've I've definitely you know over the last few years worked with lots of people who've been almost in in their first career you know or or kind of maybe the kind of second second placement after um, a kind of industry placement during degree or something like that and it it's great working with those people and we really really enjoy it and obviously as a business you want that person to have a great experience and to thrive with you but it's definitely not for everyone and that can be tricky when you have somebody who has really like really great intentions but actually the kind of uncertainty of it is very difficult and I think you need to be somebody you know you'll be given probably a huge amount of autonomy quite a lot of responsibility over a particular area your manager may be managing somebody for the first time they may not be the most equipped or experienced manager so they might not be able to give you really well-defined kind of guidelines if it's a new role there might not even be guidelines you know we might not know necessarily what that role looks like until you come in so that's great if you're somebody who's excited by that opportunity to help shape that and you want to kind of grab different areas and you're comfortable with that. But I think if you are somebody who kind of wants structure um, and wants to have maybe a very clear pathway of like what the next six months, 12 months looks like, then that can be kind of challenging. So it definitely is for a particular kind of person who it requires a, a certain amount of confidence somebody who's not going to be maybe put off by hierarchy or having to speak to different people at different levels in the business um obviously one of the benefits of being in a smaller startup is that you although you do have that hierarchy to find it's not hierarchical it tends to be much more kind of open access but I think that that can be a little bit stymieing for kind of junior team members so but yeah to get your kind of share of voice I think is it is quite demanding and requires a certain type of of personality for sure but that's also a challenge for us as people people right like I think maybe we could be doing more to create a safer environment for people with different types of personality different kind of neurodiversity that kind of thing rather than always maybe going for the same type of graduate who is that person who's quite outspoken and knows what they want um, and make sure that we're being fair with the opportunities that we're giving out. Yeah and, and that's such a good point because it is it is such a tough one isn't it where when when businesses are going through so much change and, and in your case growth you know the, the the easy option or the perception is to, to hire the, the like-minded individual that, that you know who worked well last time so let's let's hire more people like that but it, ironically as you then go through your maturity cycle, 
you you actually start losing out on opportunities because if you have all of the same same type of person you you start yeah. creation you stifle innovation you stifle and it's I know we had a really interesting chat before the podcast because because one of the things I was you know I was quite open about is a majority of my guests who have reached senior level at the moment are still males from a from a certain background and so actually to be able to start from the entry level of how do we create a more diverse how do we look at people from different social economic backgrounds whilst not commercially impacting the business because at the end of the day we are a business and we have to hit uh, targets and growth have you thinking about those sort of entry-level strategies and, and whether that's for gender or neurodiversity um, or, or social economic you know there's many different paths have you got any thoughts on, on how a young person can stand out or what, what a company can do or should do to be able to get more people in through the door? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really tricky question. I think um, when I was at Totally Money, obviously the priority, well, not the priority, but one of the, the kind of things that we were focused on was about the, the gender balance and improving that because we definitely felt that we suffered both as tech and also as kind of financial services, um, both kind of traditionally male dominated. Um, so we were trying to do various things that would be a really strong external signpost to female candidates um, that we that we kind of supported their progress and that, that we were kind of open as employers. So we joined up with PWC's Tech She Can Charter, which is something that kind of launched launched, I think, 2018, 2019 time, which is really going from strength to strength. And I know that they're doing a lot in terms of pipelining from school age onwards. Mm. Um, and that was just a good opportunity for the business to kind of, you know, try and chip in and actually um, be involved at a kind of material stage. Um, we also signed up to the Women in Finance Charter, uh, which is um, a kind of HM Treasury backed initiative about getting numbers of women into kind of senior roles um, and progressing certain kind of quotas of women. I think that that kind of question is obviously interesting and up for debate about whether or not target setting is actually useful. Um, they felt in that case that it certainly was and that actually, um, for example, certain certain high profile individuals involved in that campaign like wouldn't have got to where they are now. For example, like the CEO of Lloyds of London, had she not been almost kind of pushed into a promotion because her manager at the time had a kind of quota to hit. Um, so it's it's interesting. And I think it's a bit like doing your gender pay gap reporting. I've never worked somewhere that's large enough to have to publicly report, but we've always chosen to report because I think it's a useful thing to hold yourself accountable to internally. Uh, the question is then always, well, like, what do you do with that data and how do you improve that? For us at Papier, we've just done it this year for the first time. And it's it's interesting because we're a heavily do female dominated business yeah. because of the nature of the product, the nature of our customers, um, the fact that we have that actually our tech team is relatively small in comparison to other teams in the business where we have, say, 40 percent creatives. Um, and we have more traditional retail roles like buying and merchandising, which tend to be female dominated. But the challenge is, especially when it comes to something like gender pay gap, you have a discrepancy between the market set pay rates for people in things like buying and merchandising, which is very standardized, 
versus what we're seeing now in like tech, data science, some of those roles where all it takes is for kind of one or two male candidates to kind of command an amazing salary as they come in. And that really blows your gender pay gap out the water. So, you know, it's hard to know what to do there. Obviously, one of the answers would be to recruit more men into our lower pay quartiles, which is where we see a higher relative proportion of women. But then that's not really a fix, is it? To say, oh, I'll just recruit some more underpaid men, essentially, mm. um, to kind of balance things out. Nobody, I think, would receive that as a really great strategy to improve gender diversity. So, yeah, it, it's a tough one. I think, you know, hopefully we're it's we're at the beginning of a long journey where actually more women are being encouraged to do STEM, and that. Uh, businesses uh, are getting, you know, more welcoming now that DEI is so big on the agenda, and people are thinking much more about belonging and creating a kind of welcoming environment. I would hope that more women are finding it easier to get into these businesses, well, and also to stay there because they don't feel like. I mean, I personally feel like the kind of old um, stereotype of a heavily male dominated tech team which is a real kind of bro code it, it like it doesn't feel like that is necessarily still in existence so hopefully that is actually true for, for people's experience but but yeah creating those senior leadership team opportunities as well um, and to that extent you know one of the things that we're thinking about at Papier is improving our parental policies and things like that so that you do encourage women to stay into the business like return to the business after after having children um that kind of thing uh being flexibility like flexible with your policies um and 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 yeah making sure that um, you know that those women who do get to a kind of senior level don't then need to exit the business and kind of leave a leave a hole there yeah and you know what that's actually so so interesting because I haven't it's the first time I've thought about exactly how you've explained that with the gender pay gap at least anyway that you know coming from a female dominated uh, business or a business that's wider than just tech you know because you've got many other departments you're right it only takes a couple of senior hires in or a couple of hires within a specific part of that business and unfortunately we know that salaries are inflated in tech because it's such a competitive yeah. um such a, you know it's such a competitive world but if if it's still a male dominated part of it it can totally outsink the rest of the business and um and i hadn't actually computed it like that in my head but it, it makes total sense so so yeah speaking to someone like yourself that has to look at the whole organization how one department can probably unpick the either the great work that you have as a, as yep. a general or, or um, and as you said, yeah, an answer isn't to then go and underpay people, no matter where, you know, if gender or, or any type of different um, diversity. So, uh, yeah, hopefully, as you say, as we can get more people into STEM and, and again, it's not just gender, it's different backgrounds, different um, uh, socioeconomic, if we can get more people coming in by nature, it will hopefully mean that certain departments are not biased and therefore impacting um what we're doing it's uh... yeah absolutely and that's one of the things that we're thinking about at the moment is things like work experience programs kind of internship programs 
you know, we've finally got to a size where we're big enough that we are contributing to the apprenticeship levy. So we may as well now start thinking about a strategy to kind of make use of some of that if we can. But like, what does a kind of meaningful programme look like? And, and is that then something where you give people the opportunity to cycle across the whole business in departments? Or is that something where you offer very kind of focused uh, opportunities in particular teams and which teams you know it's tricky when you're a kind of startup or scale up and you're moving so quickly and you don't really have the the kind of expertise to spare to think how you're going to provide a kind of meaningful two-week opportunity for somebody that actually means that they can get their hands dirty and get some real work done rather than some kind of slightly arbitrary shadowing so that's the kind of thing that we're trying to set ourselves at the moment to, to figure out what that would look like and then what the kind of best partnerships would be is that then that we go out locally to kind of schools and colleges around you know Camden for example which is where Papio is based or do we try and join up with relevant kind of universities? We're obviously quite close to Central St. Martins and we get a lot of people contacting us from there in terms of our design teams. Um, so it's just thinking now about how to, how to kind of provide really good opportunities, I think, to then, yeah, like you say, give people a decent exposure into actually what range of roles you have available within kind of startup and tech. Yeah, 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 Josh. It's, uh... It's a much bigger project than I think people take credit for or think it is yep. when, when you start peeling back the layers. And, uh, and so, well, look, time has flown by, as always, when, when things are so interesting and, and, and relevant. So my last question for this, for the, for the show, for this, is that all-important career advice. So, so is there one or two bits of advice you can give to our young listeners who, you know, they're thinking of their, either their first or second job, as you say, you've, you've got quite, um, you know, your company has a passion for that. What can they do to stand out or, or really sort of, yeah, put their head above the, the, the parapet, I guess? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, I mean, I'm sure people have said it before, Charlie, and people say it again. I think a, a, a well-crafted like CV is really helpful. I know that I, we're not expecting people to have something that's hugely kind of filled out, but especially something at the top that kind of highlights maybe the kind of um, impact or like achievements that you've had in the last 12 months. I always find that a really useful thing. Um, and even if, if you can kind of define, it's amazing how many people don't worry about like actually defining the kind of business that they've been working at. But actually, if it's something that I haven't heard of, save me Googling it, say that it's X number of employees, that they do this, that they've been established since X year, like that that can all sit in one line and it saves me five minutes so that then helps me to know if it's a similar type of business or if it's something completely different um I'm sure that you know there's a debate about whether or not cover letters are dead but I personally still like a decent cover letter that shows that you've engaged with why you're interested in the business or if there's anything particular that you like about it or maybe that you've looked at our careers page and you like the values or you're interested in what we're doing for sustainability or something like that Anything like that helps obviously capture our attention. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's probably about it really. Uh, but yeah, not to be, I guess the other kind of ask is not to be intimidated and to, you know, it, we know that 
there's that kind of scary fact about women who don't apply if they don't tick absolutely all of the boxes and I think as employers we're now trying to put in a kind of shortcut against that in some of our job descriptions and making sure that they feel less intimidating but I would just encourage people to apply even if you think that you don't tick all of the boxes because you never know basically. And, and what a brilliant last point on that as well because you're, you're, you're so so right that you know, obviously, I, I live in the world of recruitment, and I see it all the time. That you know, this this it's a it's a generalised stat, but it's quite a relevant one. That you know, a, generally, a male will apply for a job if they're a sixty percent fit or above. You know, a female will apply for a job if she's only eighty percent or above, and and it's that difference which means you're missing great talent sometimes. Yeah. Because, um, so yeah, to have that confidence to apply and to have that confidence to be open about where your strengths are but also where your areas of development are and your transferable skills you know that's yep. that's the thing that I think we all look for and um and I, I totally agree with you about the research of a company I mean so many times you know the, the best candidates in the world can trip themselves up because they haven't spent that time to do the very basics of actually really understanding who they're applying to and why you know it's yes uh, um so Felicity, this has flown by and, and thank you so much. It's been so interesting to hear your side of it. And also just from, from a papier side of, of um, you know, a, a business that's, that's a tech business, but it's, it's bigger than that. And it's got its, and, and what, all the, the, um, the initiatives you're trying to drive. Um, it's been really, really fascinating. So thank you. I hope you found this um, insightful and interesting. Yeah, thank you so much. Not at all. Happy, happy to chat anytime, Charlie. Great. And to our listeners, that is another episode of our Future Tech podcast. So as always, the podcast is posted on our webpage, arrowsgroup.com forward slash podcasts. It's on the 36 university career portals now. Um, and it's also on our Spotify channel um, that you'll find through the website. So for everyone listening, uh, thank you for listening. And this is another episode of Future Tech. <laughs>